0: Welcome to the Neural Network. I'm Nick, neuroscientist, neurophysiologist out at the Center for Integrative Brain Research at Seattle Children's. Today with me I have my good friend Zach. Zach uh, is a software engineer and if I'm not mistaken was a marine as well. Uh, That is true. Well thank you for your service sir. Thank you. Zach how do you feel about cannibalism? Not good. Not good? Not a fan. Huh. Did you know though that there was a line of research back in the day that was actually examining whether memories could be transferred through cannibalism. Did they find anything? Uh, It was inconclusive. But the idea was that memories could be stored in RNA, ribonucleic acid, which is what our proteins are made from, and that if you consumed the body of another individual, or in this case, animals, because they didn't do it in humans, at least what's on record thankfully yeah that you would be able to take the RNA and recreate the memories it's kind of a similar idea that uh, some of these transplant patients say that when they gain a heart or a pancreas or whatever else is transplanted into them that they gain some of the memories from the former donor
1: that makes sense I have heard that before never with cannibalism but with like heart transplants and whatnot yeah I've heard I- that
0: I mean, so the, so the the guy that actually came up with the idea, uh, his name was Richard Seaman. So he probably had a rough childhood, if I imagine. Uh, but he came up with the idea <laughs> that uh, there was memory transfer is kind of what it was called. So basically, the idea was that learned behavior has been reported to be transferred as a result of injecting RNA containing fractions from brains of trained rats to untrained rats. Was uh, This is from a paper that I found. Um, that was essentially looking at the um, whether or not it was feasible to obtain memory through RNA. Um, but they found negative findings um, when they injected the RNA. The, the rats weren't able to actually gain the memories that were trained into the donor rats uh, or from the donor rats. And so, but it did have a a nice little quote that said, "Of course, negative findings do not, of course, bear directly on the possibility that RNA may be involved in the mechanism of memory." <clears throat> They indicate only that results obtained with one method of evaluating the possibility are not uniformly positive. Furthermore, we feel it would be unfortunate if these negative findings were to be taken as a signal for abandoning the pursuit of a result of enormous potential significance. So that's kind of cool because uh, most papers now, when you go to publish, they only take positive results, meaning that you actually found something significant. But this here is saying that, hey, you know what? Maybe a negative finding isn't uh, such a bad thing after all because we can learn something. And it's always kind of been the debate in
1: in publishing papers. Do
0: you read a lot of science papers?
1: Uh not anymore. When I was in college I did quite a bit, but not so much lately. When was this uh paper published?
0: Uh this paper was published oh, long time ago. Science, volume one hundred and fifty three. So whenever that was. You made it to science though. Probably like nineteen in the seventies, maybe, eighties? I don't know. Either way, though, the idea that cannibalism uh, could be a form of memory was actually something that gained quite a lot of traction. Uh, like I said, um was started by a guy by the name of, of Richard Seaman, um, and he had the idea that he could test memory transfer in planaria. What's planaria? Uh, that's a flatworm. Okay. It's not on your top five animals, huh? Uh, Definitely not. Yeah. Well, anyway, so he had this paper where uh, he took planaria and he put them into a U-shaped plastic trough, and he had a bunch of different groups, and he gave them a light stimulus, and whenever the light stimulus was on, then in a certain number of those groups, he gave a shock stimulus, and so you could shock the planaria and see the response, and then you could make it associated with the light kind of like you know uh those classic uh dog experiments where gave the dog the food and rang the bell and, and then, pavlov's dogs. yeah pavlov's dogs and eventually you know you rang the bell and they, they would salivate similar to uh you know when you hit one of those little bell counters at a mm-hmm. restaurant and i see drool coming down your face same thing it's a similar thing yeah same thing <laughs> exactly and so basically he did that but this was with flatworms and then he took the flatworms and uh then he ground them up and fed them to either uh, control groups that weren't exposed to anything or they were exposed to just the light. And so he wanted to see whether or not these worms that had learned to uh, have this response to the shock, um, would their memory of that would be transferred into the other ones. And it came up with this one figure. So this is looking at a paper. It's called Planaria, Memory Transfer Through Cannibalism Reexamined, was giving uh, some of the results of the paper. Uh, also in Science Magazine. And it came up with this graph, which is probably the most confusing graph I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, I have no idea how to read this. Yeah, me neither. I couldn't figure it out. Anyways, there's a bunch of lines on there that uh, supposedly indicate significance, and if anyone wants to take a look at that paper and tell us what it actually means. Uh, like from Morse what code. I could tell, though, is that they were looking at the the responses in the first 25 trials, and then they also looked at the... Number of times that it took to elicit a learned fear response within the planaria. So basically when they take the planaria and these U shaped things, then they give a light and then they shock and they give a light and they shock and they give a light and they shock. But eventually it gets to a point where you can just give the light and then you get the same response as the shock without the shock actually being there. And uh, the number of times that it takes to have, um, I think it was like 90% or something like that. Whatever a certain percentage of the worms to actually have that response was the the criterion that they used that that it was successful. Um, but what they were finding was basically that um, regardless of whether or not they fed the the ground up worms to the other worms, it was mainly just whether or not the worms were fed uh, determined whether or not they were able to learn the response faster. So it wasn't necessarily that they ate. Worms that had already Mm. know the response. Like correlation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like the worms that ate the worms that had learned the response, Mm -hmm. they subsequently learned the response faster. Yeah. But the worms that were starved and then just fed normal ground-up worms, they also learned it faster. Okay. So it just turns out if you're well-fed.
1: you Pick up on things quicker. So did they go... I don't know if I'm using the right term, but like generational for this. So like if they, I don't know, in the paper, does it say if they had like, you know, six generations of worms that were all shocked know. and raised being shocked? <laughs> or was it just like they had the worms, they shocked them, got them used to the response, and then ground them up? Worms, shocked, ground up. Do you think it would change if they went generational? I don't know. With it? I
0: don't know if memories can be transferred generational. That's I don't think that cool. they can
1: be transferred. I mean, I'm I
0: mean, Maybe. Do you have any memories of your mother? Like, uh, that you share with your mother? No. No?
1: No. But, if I'm not mistaken, people with, like, uh, you know, some sort of trauma will pass on responses to their children. Really?
0: Right? Oh, that's cool.
1: I, I, You're the PhD over here. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I study brainstem stuff. Okay, well. What makes you go, <laughs> that's what I study. Okay, that's not me, I click clack on a keyboard so not me i'm just over here googling and going through twitter rabbit holes but (laughs) regardless of the point if you like you can pass down um you know like if you're if you hit the gym and then your kids hit the gym and then their kids hit the gym your great 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 grandchildren would probably be naturally stronger right there's like a physiological response to that
0: epigenetic phenomenon
1: so, would that be the same thing in this case, where there might be mm. something that gets encoded into their genetics after so many generations that it's, they respond? It'd be like I don't know evolution in a sense. I mean, the thing about memory
0: is, it's like we don't we still don't necessarily know where memory comes from or is stored in the brain. In the brain, like so, so basically, like the the functional unit of memory is called an engram, mm-hmm. and so an engram is. There's many different definitions, but essentially an engram is the minimal number of the minimum number of hardware that's necessary in order to recreate a memory. And so, if you like have an event that you remember, it gets encoded into a certain number of neurons. And when you go back and you stimulate those neurons, it's the minimum amount that's necessary in order to elicit that memory. And that's what's considered an engram. So, if you have like a network of like 50 neurons, and you do something that you remember, mm-hmm. you get splashed by a bus standing on the sidewalk or you, you moon your friends or something like that. Right. That's a okay. core memory yep. that's ingrained. And let's say it lit up 25 of those neurons mm-hmm. and while it was being encoded, th- while you were yeah being encoded. And those are the ones that were strengthened, right. Mm-hmm. Just like heavy plasticity, like fire cells that fire together, wire together yeah. and you strengthen those synapses <clears throat> that would constitute the engram of that memory. And okay. so the initial encoding of that memory is going to be the most vivid. So it's going to have the most number of neurons. Mm-hmm. And so like originally you remember how cold it was outside, especially if you're mooning your friends outside while you're being splashed by a bus. Like you remember the smell because you probably smell some urine at the bus stop. Someone smoking fentanyl because it's uh, Seattle. Gotta kind of love it. Yeah. Or you see a four loco over there. Like you remember everything that's about that memory. How it felt how that wind felt on your tush, mm-hmm. but a lot of those aren't necessary for the core remembrance of that memory, like in order to remember that yeah, I mooned my friends while getting splashed by a bus at some point, you don't need to remember that there was a four local in the corner and that it smelled like fentanyl on urine, Mm-hmm. and Seattle's finest but so so it goes through a consolidation phase, and so some people say that there's a encoding phase where the neurons are strengthened that you're used. Excuse me. And then it goes to a consolidation phase where, where it weeds out a lot of the unnecessary information, a lot of the unnecessary connections that may not be needed for the entire memory. Mm -hmm. And then whenever you go to retrieve it, then when you go to retrieve it, the only part that is recalled is the minimum that's necessary in order to remember it. And that, that can be, um, modified as well so every time that it brings every time that you say that you want to remember this memory you activate those neurons but there's other neurons that are going to be active at the same time and so they have the opportunity to be incorporated into that memory and so it can kind of get like shaped over time like jumbled yeah to the
1: point where like you don't know what you're remembering
0: it could be because as far as the neural circuitry is aware that is the memory it's the engram. It's what is necess- it's, what you rec- it's what you recruit when you go to remember it. And so there's error between the event that actually made the memory, mm-hmm. but when you're recalling, if you want to recall the memory, you have to recruit some sort of network of neurons. And if when you go to recruit it, that original engram has been modified to include something else, as far as your brain is aware, it is the memory. It's just not lining up with the event anymore.
1: Okay. Does that play into dementia? Dementia? Yeah. Like, uh, do those engrams get so jumbled that they just can't remember?
0: I don't know. I mean, dementia is like, well, okay, dementia's a slippery slope that I'm going to get flack for no matter what. But, like, can... I, I, yeah, it's a hypothesis. So, okay. everyone is entitled to their own hypothesis. Okay. You could come up with a hypothesis of dementia. I don't got a PhD. It doesn't matter. It's just letters after your name. That's fair. You know? Okay. Credentials don't matter. Mm. I, well. Mm, they they yeah, kind of okay. do. They kind of do. I'll I should. i I'll backtrack on that a little bit. Yeah. Credentials can matter. How about that? Would you hire me? I, I would hire assistant. you. Unofficially. Because <laughs> 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 if I say that officially and then I don't hire you, then God forbid <laughs> something happens. <laughs> I'm good. You're good. You got a
1: better job anyways. I don't know about As that. far as like. Yeah. Not my room. Hmm. Okay, so next question. Anyways. off of dementia, or I guess sidetrack. Oh, from. Oh yeah, dementia.
0: yeah, dementia. But but dementia, I will say that like one of the leading theories is like the development of these proteins mm-hmm. that linger around in the brain. So you have an excessive amount of things like beta amyloid and tau. So basically, these plaques mm-hmm. that build up in the in the brain over time, and they build up to an excessive amount in Alzheimer's and dementia. Whereas Alzheimer's is a form of dementia, but, and they kind of, uh, more or less gum up the synapses. And so the cells can't communicate with each other anymore. And so if they can't communicate with each other anymore, they don't necessarily have the opportunity to strengthen the synapses. So essentially the mechanism by which it does, and don't worry necessarily about the, the molecular components, but basically like you have one cell and it wants to talk to another. And so it has... An axon, which is just like this little tentacle that shoots out of the the neuron i 'm mm-hmm. like illustrating it with my arms, but you guys can 't see
1: it 's a great illustration
0: it 's a great illustration and then when it wants to release um, a neurotransmitter, it releases it out of that axon and then it 's picked up by the the next cell by mm-hmm. its dendrites, and the dendrites on there have receptors, and one of the classic mechanisms of long term potentiation, which is how you strengthen one of the ways that you can strengthen synapse is that uh, you activate these receptors. One of them, one, one common one that's used for it is uh, AMPA receptors, which is a glutamate receptor. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it gets active. And then, when it's active, then you get sodium that comes rushing into the cell. So, basically, like, it opens up this pore, and there's a gradient for sodium to come flooding in. So, it comes flooding into the cell. Since sodium is a cation, it has a positive charge. And so the inside of the cell becomes more positively charged. Okay. And then as the charge builds up, it can open up another receptor called the NMDA receptor because that receptor is normally blocked by a magnesium plug, which also has a positive charge. And so when you build a positive charge inside of the cell, then it can kick out the magnesium ion and then calcium can come flooding into the NMDA receptor. And when the calcium comes flooding in, it activates a number of different transcription factors that can then increase the, uh, the transcription of more AMPA receptors to then get translocated to the membrane. And now you have more receptors on the membrane. So for any given stimulus, you get a greater response. So you need less of a stimulus in order to elicit the same response from the neuron. You got all that?
1: Hardly. <laughs> I am racking my brain from like psych 101 uh. to like think about.
0: They teach you that in psych. Huh? That's uh,
1: cool. I learned what a couple of those words were. See,
0: it's all coming back.
1: You have an engram of there. I have an engram to
0: oh, to that, remember
1: this somewhere from Dr. Matson. Shout out to him.
0: Oh, I had a Dr. Matson in graduate school. He was. Uh, he's. I think he's. He's in Georgia right now. He's the chair of physiology at Augusta University. But wow, look at that. Yeah, his his biggest thing was always uh, explain, because he taught renal physiology and which is kidneys. Okay. There we go. We were a big, big renal physiology department, Mm -hmm. how the kidneys work to regulate your blood pressure and stuff like that. And we were kind of our own little Island that studied breathing. And, uh, but we had to obviously learn all of that kind of stuff. I slapped my microphone. Um, and, uh, he would always say, explain to me the kidney, like you would explain it to your five-year-old cousin. And then he would make you explain it, like, tell me how it is to an undergraduate, and then explain it as a graduate student. and You know, so you start with, you're like, in with the good, out with the bad, you know? That makes sense. Ki- the kidney comes, stuff comes in, it's a filter, and you say, the kidney filters the body, you know? So okay. I don't, that was kind of a tangent, but...
1: It was a good tangent, though. He
0: was a cool guy. Really, really nice guy. Yeah. Had a lot of uh, friends that were, ended up doing their, their PhD with him, but... Okay.
1: What were we talking about? Engrams. We were talking about engrams and how they play into these cannibalistic worms. Now, I do have another question, though. Do you have cannibal worms? Uh, I do not have cannibal worms. Do you want cannibal worms? Do you have cannibal worms? I don't. I've had,
0: like, I got a dog. and No uh, No cannibalism there? uh, No. Although, I wonder wonder what it is, and I'm sure somebody knows what, what it is. Like, what is that innate drive that prevents cannibalism? Not to say like there aren't exceptions to the rule, like we have Dahmer and stuff like that, but, but, you know, like if, if there was a, a dead body in front of you, mm-hmm. let's say, or not even that, let's say that you were stranded out in the woods. Yeah. For a long period of time. And you, a dead body suddenly occurs to you. hmm. Right in front of me. Yeah. As would normally in the, yeah. in the Cascades. hmm. The drive to eat it would be pretty low.
1: Yeah. I can't imagine that situation ever yeah but like do you think it's a societal thing societal thing or is it like a response maybe yeah or is it like just ingrained into us
0: well that's what i'm wondering i don't know because like if you saw a dead elk you'd be considering it like okay well okay but there's there's something there that i could eat and i i don't have anything against cutting it up and eating it
1: okay side tangent still kind of on the same thing though uh, we truly became a society as humans when we started burying our dead, right? That's the thought. Is it really? I I think that that's a thought. Is oh, like that's what makes us a true society is that we like huh. bury and care for our dead. So, what you. if that's a deep generational memory that we have, and that's what makes dead bodies so off limits to us?
0: Oh, it could. Because yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, there's no like I said before, like there's no universal code of morals or values. There's not,
1: but also on There's top just of things
0: that we tend to all agree on societal. which is largely rooted in like biblical structure, but there's nothing to say. Like we're like what you believe is what you believe and it's right to you mm-hmm. and what someone over in a different country, and pirates, what they believe is what they believe and it's right to them. Yeah. And there's nothing that makes your view more right than their view. No, it's all subjective. It's all subjective. Yeah. And so like. You know, there's nothing necessarily rooted in that, like, universal code of morals that would say, hey, look, we have something that's against eating our own
1: species. But, I mean, there are still, like, cannibalistic tribes out there, correct? Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I
0: there's those little TikTok YouTube videos things where it's like, this yeah, is the last we time. saw them.
1: You see them all the time. Yeah. But what if they just never grew out of that? I mean, maybe it's just normal for them uh-huh. from a societal standpoint, but... I don't know. I think that there's more to these uh planaria and cannibalistic worms than um, they're looking into. I think they need to into do another the, study.
0: We got to look into the mindset of the planaria. We do. Into the worms. Worms have a lot of hearts. That many, has nothing to do with this, but How many
1: hearts do they have though? Uh, I think like 8 or something Why? like
0: that. Why? I'm probably wrong on that. So someone, will someone can it. look it up and Yeah. We'll leave a comment that says you're a fraud. You're not a worm doctor. You're not like a that. worm doctor. Yeah, I'm just a goat and a mouse doctor. Goat and a mouse (laughs) doctor. If your goat goat ever needs CPR, I'm your guy. You're the guy. Mouth to snout. (laughs) All
1: day. Mouth to snout. I can go for a while.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that a common thing
0: in the lab? Um, We we put brain implants in them.
1: Oh, like the little uh, little zappers? Sure. To stimulate stuff? Electrodes? What would you call them? Probes. Probes. different probes we can okay. have you know okay
0: we're doing the mouse too it's just more like exaggerated exaggerated
1: when it's a goat i think you showed me charts from the mice uh, with yeah. the probes like a long time ago yeah
0: the well the cpr to a mouse is still like you still do it but it's really like just one finger it's one finger tapping like tapping morse code you pretty much tap morse code mm-hmm. to the heart to get it to go yep and then you act, you hold it down so that the blood goes to its head. So you hold it by its tail. Oh, wow. And then you kind of go at an angle, and you just tap, 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 tap. And then you, like,
1: shake it, try to arouse it. Do you go mouth to snout on a mouse? No. Is there a particular probably good. not?
0: You probably could.
1: You could. You're just not trying hard enough. I'm not trying hard enough.
0: I'm pretty good at mouse CPR. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not a small person.
1: No, we. I know that. You guys might not know that, but. Yeah, they haven't seen me, but not a small person at all. Not a small. I have seen one. this man bust out of a lab coat <laughs> in a video. He just flexed his chest and lab coat exploded. <laughs> These So, <laughs> when it comes to the average scientist,
0: I'll generalize. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong in generalizing the average build of a scientist. No. It doesn't ex- it doesn't portray that of necessarily athletic endeavor. No. No. Like what do you think of when you think of an average scientist?
1: Uh, honestly, I just think of like a slender person cause they're probably so caught up in their work or like any like academic in general or like, like a, scholar, whatever you want to call them.
0: Like a bookworm. Yeah.
1: Like a bookworm. Like a
0: book planaria. Yes. <laughs> a publishing planaria.
1: A publishing planaria. PP. Hashtag. We got it. We got it. We're going on Twitter.
0: And so anytime that you go down and do mouse, like to get the mice, the mice are housed in a separate entity. You know, within the building. So in order to go there, you have to go and you have to put on a lab coat and sometimes you have to go through a clean facility. Mm-hmm. And they don't always have a lot of large, or I actually use XL or double XL lab coats. Personal problem. And I went down there one time and I had to get my mice and they only had mediums or no, not even that. They had smalls and extra smalls. And I didn't have a choice. I had to get these mice. And so I slapped on a small lab coat it was a schmedium at best. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was a very small lab coat, and uh, the best I could do is I got like two buttons. I got like one around the waist because I have a slender waist, I guess. Like a Dorito chip. Like a uh, yeah, I'm built like a Dorito chip. That's upside down, crunchy. Cool Ranch
1: or nacho cheese
0: though? Ooh, Cool Ranch. Okay. Although I had some over Christmas break, we had some of the uh, jalapeno. I think Ooh. that was pretty good. Love a good spicy chip. Yeah. The problem is, like, you just keep eating them. Because once you stop, that's when the burn comes. Yeah. No, you got to keep going. You just keep, you going. keep going. Fun fact. I uh, I did win a t-shirt and got my picture put up on a wall in uh, Ishpeming, Michigan. Say that one more time? Ishpeming, Michigan. Okay. It's perfect for a pop filter. <laughs> and uh, it was supposedly like one of the world's spiciest burgers, but it turns out that all it was was a bunch of habanero peppers and like ghost peppers that were smashed up and put into the – like. The shape of a burger patty. What? Yeah, anyways. They didn't
1: even mix it in. They just made their own little just a pepper patty. Pepper patty. Hashtag pee-pee.
0: Yeah, hashtag another pee And And you had like an hour to eat this thing, I guess. And I thought, okay, no big deal. I'm just going to wolf this thing down and whatever happens, happens. Like, oh, fun fact. Did you know that birds actually do not express the receptor to sense heat? Like
1: in food? Like they can't pick up on spiciness. Yeah.
0: So, like the trans, like, so like capsaicin, which is like the molecule within spicy food that Mm -hmm. makes it taste spicy. Yeah. uh, It activates a uh, set of TRPV receptors. So, the the transient receptor potential vanillanoid type receptors, I think is what it stands for. And uh, birds don't have that. And so they can eat as many hot peppers as they want and nothing happens.
1: But we have that. So, we feel like we're going to die. Did they just evolve to not have that? Like, there's no need Probably. for it. Probably. I just don't know. Because peppers developed that so that way they can stay, you know, not being eaten. And yeah. humans just love it. But maybe birds just didn't eat peppers. But they didn't
0: find out a way to get around the Venus flytraps, did they?
1: They did not. No. <laughs> so they tried.
0: They tried. Uh back to the spicy pepper. Um and,
1: and when was this? Was this over Christmas?
0: Uh no, this was Ishpeming, uh, Michigan. No, this was back when I was uh racing skis in in undergrad. Wow. Long yeah. time ago. Long time ago. And uh so I thought, okay, I'm just gonna eat this burger real fast, whatever happens, happens. Like we'll wolf it down. Mm-hmm. And so I did, and then I'm you know, I'm telling myself this whole time, like there's no actual damage that's occurring. Mm-hmm.
1: But it feels like it. Oh, it's just mental.
0: You're sweating. You're crying. like Tears are coming out. You might actually be crying.
1: You never know. It's like every day.
0: Every day. That's how you end every single day here in Seattle. That's how I end every single day here in Seattle.
1: Lack of vitamin D. Lack of vitamin D. (laughs) (laughs) Take your vitamin D supplement. I did
0: take a vitamin D supplement yesterday, actually. I took an iron and vitamin D supplement. I realized I probably shouldn't take the iron because I eat a lot of meat. but probably should take vitamin D every day. Yeah. Maybe. Not every day. It builds up. A, D, E, and K are fat-soluble.
1: Okay. So they, like, get stored in your fat, which we have a lot of. Mm. Allegedly. Sometimes.
0: You're looking pretty thin,
1: though. I do just doing jiu-jitsu all the time. Just jiu-jitsu now, huh? Just jiu-jitsu, because I train in the morning.
0: I don't understand that. I I train jiu-jitsu in the evening. No, I can't do it. Six o'clock is when it starts.
1: Yeah, same for me, just
0: a.m. 6 a.m jiu i would 6 a.m i would blow the top off of my toilet there's something about jujitsu. we talked about it there's something like it's i don't know if it's neon just belly. The, well there's neon belly that just squishes it out by brute force but it's like colon broom yeah i it's, think it's a product they can sponsor us if they want they
1: can it's not easy to train in the morning it's very difficult i also don't uh drink caffeine before anymore well, yeah, because it's six o'clock in the morning. Six o'clock in the morning. I don't so that's a slippery trip,
0: slope because then you're tired by like 11 and you got to mm-hmm. take more. And then now you're back to Marine Corps.
1: Yeah. No, mm-hmm. like four hours of sleep. So, yeah. Can't just do nothing that. but grizzly and bangs. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. That's how life is. But wake up at five. I leave my house at like 5.30. Do you eat before nope. you go? No, you
0: don't eat before you go. Nope. Empty stomach. No. Nope. I Empty guess stomach. it's not. It's a really explosive sport. So it's not like.
1: Yeah, it's not Yeah. It's not bad at all. Um get there like just before six, go in, warm up a little bit, and then train until yeah, I don't know, seven, seven thirty if there's rolls after class. Uh but it's like a you know, it's a ramp up. Like our training is I've trained at what, like five gyms now. And this is the first time that I've ever trained like this. We do our warm ups, which is like, I don't know, maybe five minutes. And then typically we'll learn like a technique whatever it may be it might just be like a different arm bar variation or something like that and then we'll go into specifics and we usually start out in like uh rotations with different partners and you know one person's in full guard and one person's trying to pass no one knows what that means okay well (laughs) for everybody else nick knows it's basically missionary um basically i brought
0: my mom with me to a jiu-jitsu tournament oh yeah one time terrified and uh and she looked over at me one time and said are they in missionary
1: you <laughs> like they absolutely are they they absolutely are just wait till somebody totally position turtles and you rotate around the back you might end up in some yeah if you have someone
0: on your back and you're in turtle yeah. it's also a you promiscuous position
1: yeah they know. they know they know we don't have to explain that too deep
0: i often wonder when people walk by the gym when the mirror like you know because we have like full glass windows in front of the gym Yeah, that's like so common I and we're like that. zoo animals in there
1: yeah why is that the case with every uh, i I've, this is the first gym i've ever trained at that doesn't have floor-to-ceiling mirrors whether it was boxing or muay thai karate jiu-jitsu they all have floor-to-ceiling or not mirrors uh windows windows yeah. out front and, people and they just, just watch you
0: they're steamed up by the end of the yeah it's rolling horrible. session
1: you look terrible when you're rolling too Oh, yeah. I mean, I do. My face gets red all the time anyways, but when I train, it's
0: I just can't imagine horrible. getting strangled at 6 a.m. It wakes you up. I
1: I guess. It wakes you up. To be fair, the strangling doesn't really start until like 6.30.
0: Yeah. Although, I guess, like, the hard part about doing it at night is that you're pretty amped up at, when class is done at like 8.30. Yeah. Like, you just got done fighting off chokes and choking people and, like, someone trying to break your arm and...
1: Yeah, I couldn't do that Yeah, it would keep me up until like 2 o'clock in the morning which I don't have the best sleep patterns anyway so I'm usually up until like midnight I was going to say
0: as a software engineer don't you guys like you don't sleep you guys are pretty much nocturnal aren't you
1: no absolutely I mean most but we can generalize software engineers as well I think Uh, not me though I go to jujitsu I go home eat breakfast and then work until a reasonable hour and then do it um, all again Turn off my computer, and I'm done with it. Yeah, I probably don't look at my computer past like 4.30 or 5 p.m. Really? Yeah. Huh. Just don't want to, just, don't need just to. Your, just your phone. Phone, laptop, whatever, that's fine. But like my actual workstation computer, I'm not messing with that. Oh.
0: See, I only have
1: a laptop. Get a workstation.
0: I, I've thought about it. I, I, you know those uh, those water computers, those aquarium computers? Don't do that. I'm not going to, but they're they're kind of cool. Like I, I, little... I'm not I'm I'm gonna lie if I had said that I didn't think about it.
1: I'm sure you have one in like an Amazon cart right now. Not out of the question. It's Not out of the question. <laughs> it's not out of the question. It's a pre-built. It's got. fit Do they have live fish in them?
0: Uh, I don't know. There's moving I parts. I can't, I can't imagine move. they would just have a fish just biting at your. What do you call it, a hard drive or something like that?
1: Uh, could be. Could be. If it was water cooled, you could have little tubes going across that. But there's yeah, there's wires all over a keyboard. They'd be running into your RAM sticks and whatnot. Eh, Probably not good. Probably not. Probably not. We a fun fact, actually in the lab,
0: we used to use aquarium pumps and heaters for uh for maintaining the temperature of the baths of our for our neuroscience or for our neurophysiology. EFIS. So for Electrophys, we like, we take out brains and we took the brain stem and we sliced it and we put it in a dish.
1: And you took these out of what? Mice? Mice.
0: Okay. Yeah. Should probably clarify, huh?
1: Yeah. And um, so you put them in a little bath and then
0: we make artificial cerebrospinal fluid, which is just like brain Gatorade. Mm-hmm. It's just like a bunch of glucose and sodium and some magnesium and all that kind of stuff.
1: Are they measured specifically?
0: Uh, Yeah. You weigh it out and you have to check the osmolarity and all that kind of stuff. But it is done scientifically, but, uh, it's basically just like juice that we, it's clear though. Mm-hmm. It, if it goes over the brain and, uh, provides everything that would normally be there to keep it alive. But anyways, you have to heat the, you have to heat up the, the cerebrospinal fluid and keep it at a constant temperature. Cause brains don't like to be cold. Mm-hmm. The neurons, the neurons don't do their thing anymore. Um, and so we used to put the, the reservoir of fluid into, a aquarium basically and then use an aquarium heater to keep the water temperature but it was annoying because those heaters that go into tanks like they're always turning on and turning off Mm -hmm. like the error is really bad yeah and every time it turned on you just got this big like on your
1: recording in temperature
0: no, like a spike that looked like on your neural recordings.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I, I, I don't think it's appreciated sometimes is you have to, like, ground everything when you're doing an electrical record because you're recording the electrical activity from a single neuron a lot of times, and that's not a big electrical recording, and you have to amplify it, like, 10,000 times.
1: Side note, how many neurons are in a mice's brain? A lot. Do we have a rough estimate?
0: I guess it would be 50 to 100 billion. That's my guess. Someone's going to come on and be like,
1: actually,
0: (laughs) actually,
1: it's more like 300 billion. And I'm like, okay. I was going to say at least a million, which I'm not wrong. Technically. You're not wrong. I would say more
0: magnitude there, which feeds into the memory thing, which we have to get back to. But anyways, it would create these big like spikes of electrical noise on there because like, like I said, you have to ground everything. Like the experiments are done in a Faraday cage, Mm -hmm. which like, I don't know what a Faraday cage does exactly, but it like grounds the ions in the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I used to actually wear a tutu sometimes. I called it my patching tutu. You laugh, but there's a picture. and uh, Send it to me. I'll, I'll send it to you. Because you have to be very superstitious with this stuff because uh, you're always... Like, finicking with your rig is what we call it, what we record from. Mm -hmm. And so, like, sometimes you might be electrically charged that day, and you have to, like, clip a little thing to your skin to ground it. Yeah. And there's just – you're always – so there's just a ton of wires, like, you know, 15 ground wires just flying around everywhere. It's like if there's noise, just touch something to a ground wire, like, ground it. But then you start getting loops, you know? And so most Mm -hmm. of the time, we just play around with that.
1: You guys don't have grounding mats?
0: Like what you sleep on?
1: No, like grounding mats. Like when you're building a computer, you can like stand on a grounding mat. Really? Or like, you know, put your hands on a grounding mat. I'm not a hardware guy. but would be a game changer, actually. It's uh, it's like a legitimate mat. Let me, let me check really quick. But it is a, uh, yeah, it's an actual mat that you stand on. Um, like when you're building a computer. Is it- I didn't do it when I built mine the first time. And uh, I don't remember what it was, but it short-circuited.
0: Is it like the same grounding mats that those people sleep on um, that are all about the electromagnetic waves? Probably. Because it would be kind of be useful. But anyways, going back to the tutu. Oh, you got to be barefoot for this. You don't want that. Oh, never no, mind. That'd be weird. That'd be weird. That but you're against, wearing a tutu, so. Go, yeah. It goes against OSHA, I think. Oh, that's fair. You guys have standards? yeah Closed toes shoot. Hmm. We do deal with a
1: lot of neurotoxins. That's fair. Yeah. Maybe don't go barefoot in the lab. Yeah. I mean,
0: I don't have too many people sucking on my toes. Not too many. In jujitsu, it's not out of the question for a toe to go in a mouth. It is actually not. If I have tetrodotoxin on there,
1: it's that's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Probably Probably some, don't do that. Okay. Keep your shoes on. Wear your tutu. Continue.
0: Yeah. Uh, tutu. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was having a really big issue one time trying to get neurons. And uh, then there was this tutu that we found in the lab, and I wore it as a joke. Um... And, uh, that day I ended up like all the noise in the rig was gone and I got a bunch of neurons and we're so superstitious because like I said, you have to ground everything. And sometimes like we just call it like the voodoo magic that goes into recording from neurons. Mm-hmm. And so I wore the tutu for a while every day when I went to go patch,
1: like we have collect neurons Time frame for this.
0: Probably like two weeks, maybe. And how long ago? Two years ago.
1: Okay. Does the tutu still exist in the lab? Yeah. Wow. I think. Do you ever just bust it out for old time's sake? No. You should. I could. You should. It's pink. That's perfect. Yeah. So
0: that's the tutu story. Very Anyways, uh, I forgot what we were talking about with memory,
1: but... It was a long time ago.
0: Yeah, it was a long time <laughs> ago, but essentially... Uh, oh, yeah, we were talking about how you could uh, alter memory, right? How... Mm-hmm how the memories are encoded and then they're consolidated. And then when you go to reactivate them again, essentially it's vulnerable to being influenced by other factors. And uh, so what we did, or not what we did, we didn't do this. I don't study memory. I study breathing. Um, but what what some people did was they induced different neurons to form into that network, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, when the memory is being recalled and they could make different, false memories and you, and you could also like what, what you can make
1: false memories oh sure so this is oh this is oh, buckle up we're getting into some cia mind control buckle stuff up now. here
0: most we're, most of our listeners are gone already because mm-hmm. i looked at the apple statistics yep people mm-hmm. i know you can make it past 15 minutes yep. anyways 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 100 percent men so far that i've downloaded on apple
1: yeah yeah so do you know what the uh demographics are for podcasts in general no okay well that might be that would have been a good place to start yeah analytically speaking
0: (laughs) i'm not a data scientist (laughs) you don't need to be
1: a data scientist i like numbers
0: this is an underrated thing in science
1: though i love bar graphs i love bar graphs bar graphs are easy to see what's going on exactly i mean don't
0: get me wrong there's some complicated graphs that even well by a data, st- like by a biostatistician or a data scientist perspective, most of my graphs are pretty elementary, but uh, there's a lot to be said about a bar graph. But um, anyways, with the false memories, uh, they were taking these mice and putting them in a box and giving them a shock stimulus. So basically like make a sound and then shock the feet or the paws. Same for the, mice. As the worms. Not worms. This is Plane mice.
1: Area. No, this is mice. I know what I'm saying. It's the same situation as the planaria. Yes, except it's not light. It's a sound. I thought you said they did no. a light and then shocked their feet.
0: Oh, for the mice? Yeah.
1: No, they did a sound.
0: Okay. Yeah. Maybe I've heard wrong. And, uh, and so they shocked the paws. Mm-hmm. And mice, when they get scared, their initial response is freezing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to Rue, my dog, who when whenever the fire alarm goes off, he's gone. Okay. Any other time, he's like glued to my hip. But in a stressful situation, he Mm. will not protect me. No, I will die. Yep, he's gone.
1: He's not a very—he's like, thanks for the kibble. I'm out. Not a very vicious dog, though.
0: I'm faster than you.
1: See ya, big boy. Yeah, you'll—you'll make it. Yeah, you're a big guy. (laughs) You'll be fine. (laughs) Would Toff protect you? Absolutely not. He's like eight pounds, isn't he? No, he's like Uh fourteen. He's a little bit overweight, but he's got one eye too. He does have one eye, actually.
0: My dog punched your dog.
1: Yeah. uh on a walk and ran into nick and rue and rue is i don't even know what kind of dog he is but he's a pretty big dog 85 pounds 85 pounds and toff is uh like 13 or 14 and rue got excited and walked up to him and just pawed him straight in the face as hard as he could and toff yelped dropped bombs yep I teach him young. i think tried to attack him right didn't no. he like snarl at Roo? oh he snarled yeah snarled and then on the walk home we walked past another big dog that looked kind of like Rue, and Toph like snarled at that dog. <laughs> like it's just, he made an engram with yes! with blonde dogs, and he hated them for like a week. Anytime he saw a dog that looked anything similar to Rue, he would just, like go on the offensive. <laughs> so maybe Toph would try and protect me, because he went on the offensive. He was not scared. Like it's those little dogs, you got to watch out for. Yeah, no. I mean,
0: although Rue punched, but
1: Roo did strike first. He it did was self defense for Toph.
0: There is the the mutual combat law, I guess, in Washington.
1: There is. Dude, have you ever heard about Phoenix Jones? No. He was like a ruse heard about Phoenix
0: Jones. Ruse just started wagging his tail when he mentioned Phoenix Jones.
1: He loves Phoenix Jones. He was like a superhero, quote unquote superhero, in Seattle. And uh, he was like an MMA guy. I don't know his real name. I don't know his backstory or anything like that. But uh, he would put on a costume and he would go around and find troublemakers in downtown and just challenge them to mutual combat and then beat the hell out of them really I, he did i saw this dude on kimbo slice East. what it's like kimbo slice oh he was way better kimbo just had hands but kimbo was also I, like,
0: like a silverback
1: he was like a silverback he was a huge human being super strong he juiced also had really good skills probably hmm? juiced to the gills oh 100 he was on steroids 100 percent, like without a doubt on steroids but that's besides the point. Phoenix Jones probably was on steroids as well. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but Phoenix Jones, huh. superhero in Seattle. Combat. Kinda mutual crazy. combat law. Mutual combat. <laughs> uh, he would challenge people to mutual combat and I was driving through Seattle, like, I don't know, a long time ago, like 10 years ago, uh, on new year's Eve. Cause I was like, I don't know, 17. I didn't have anything to do at the time. Couldn't go out to bars or anything like that. So I just wanted to see what was going on in Seattle. And, uh, we saw Phoenix Jones fighting a dude in the street, like, right next to two cops. <laughs> and that's how I found out about the mutual combat law. Interesting. It was crazy. I think wow. it's in Texas, too.
0: Making engrams of yep. Felix Jones. Or Phoenix. Phoenix.
1: Phoenix. Phoenix.
0: Rise like a Phoenix.
1: Rise like a Phoenix. That's
0: what i or... say. in undergrad. the Green Bay Phoenix.
1: You were the Green Bay Phoenixes? University of Wisconsin-Green
0: Bay Phoenix.
1: Wow. Didn't know that. Yeah, we were the skiing Phoenix. Thought you guys were badgers.
0: No, it's University of Wisconsin-Madison.
1: Mm. Okay. No, I,
0: I wasn't Madison. I went to Green Bay. I barely got into college.
1: <laughs> I didn't even graduate college. I had college. to
0: meet with an advisor and write some paper to testify why I should be able to go to college. I didn't do very good on undergrad.
1: I but feel like that's the story of a lot of people, though. We made
0: it through. Not only that, we kept going.
1: Kept going, and you're here. Yeah. I mean, I... I had so many stints in college before I finally got an associate's and then I got my associate's and I was like, "Nope, did coding bootcamp, got see, hired as an engineer. See,
0: here's my gripe with education. I'm going to go on a tangent here and this is going to backfire on me probably, but. Let's hear it. I feel like we have, uh, incentivized blunt memorization. Mm-hmm. Like if you're really good at memorizing things. Oh yeah. You're gonna do really good in school. Mm-hmm but if you don't necessarily memorize things then you don't do as good and and so if you like just have a general understanding of the concept but you don't memorize the individual like words of the pieces that go into it then it's like hard to to thrive yeah that's why like in anatomy i did terrible mm-hmm. i had to retake anatomy and physiology i have a phd in physiology <laughs> But but like it happens, I could not remember for the life of me the names of the muscles. Yeah, I like now I memorize like the diaphragm because you breathe your intercostals. Like I know the muscles of respiration because that's Mm -hmm. what I study. But beyond that, someone asked me last week, uh, like two weeks ago or something like that. They point, you know, the your quadriceps Mm -hmm. and the big muscle that like forms your second knee. Yeah. Yeah, they asked what that was, and I could not, for the life of me, remember what the name of it.
1: Like the main leg, so to speak, of the quad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like the vastus medialis.
0: Could not, for the life of me, remember what that was called. I had to look it up.
1: Man, I I don't know anything about anatomy. I never took it, yeah. but.
0: But like physiology, like physiology, I feel like you understand the process. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily you don't necessarily need I mean it's nice to understand the terms but like if you understand the concept of breathing how air moves in how air moves out different pressures yeah like you can have a better understanding of it which a lot of people struggle with
1: yeah I mean that's important though like that's kind of how it is with coding like I don't remember a lot of code specifics like I know the basics I don't know conceptually what to do but probably I don't know I know quite a few engineers and a lot of the work that you do is just Googling and like research and just GitHub. You... what
0: GitHub. Isn't that what it's called?
1: GitHub is where you like store your code at, but stack overflow is like the Wikipedia for solving code problems, code challenges. Oh. But you, uh, you don't have to memorize everything. It's pointless to memorize everything. You have to know like, you know, data types and whatnot. But <clears throat> if you can make a function, and you know how to make, you know, classes if you're doing like OOP or whatever. As long as you can do that, you can Google your way through pretty much everything. Huh. And you don't need to memorize everything. Yeah. And See, I, from my
0: like limited knowledge, I, I, I can do stuff in Python.
1: Mm-hmm. Python's super easy though. It reads like plain English.
0: And I struggle with that. So
1: yeah, we know.
0: That <laughs> makes <laughs> that, That's good. <laughs> that's I'm really, good. I'm winning here.
1: I mean, it's better than like a, I don't know, if you try to learn Java, you'd probably lose your mind
0: yeah some of the people use like c++ still Mm -hmm. for some of the computational networks i think it's like faster or something like that
1: yeah still pretty common
0: yeah but that that's just like that's so far out of my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. ain't gonna happen
1: i mean i mean i could probably learn it but all of this stuff that we talked about today pretty much when it comes to the actual like neurophysiology aspects of everything over your head straight over my head i like kind of pick up on some of the stuff but I have that, actually, on my side from college and school and whatnot. I'm super, I don't know, good, like memory recall. My really? engrams are hard encoded in my brain. Maybe if there's a you know network of 50, I might get 35 or 40 because I can remember a lot of like really, really stupid stuff. Huh. Like I remember the exercise that I asked you the first time in the gym.
0: A lat pull-down.
1: It wasn't a lat pull-down. No, down. it was, it
0: was like, a lat pull-over.
1: Lat pull-over. I remember the machines. You were standing next to Wes talking to him. Like, I can recall that entire situation very easily. Wow. All of it. But uh, I I just didn't like college, and I didn't like the fact that, like, that was, I don't know. I wonder if with the engrams
0: and being able to, like, remember, like, some people are really good at picking up, like, oh, I remember the smell of yeah. this restaurant, and some people really are good at memorizing or remembering, like, faces. Mm-hmm. And some people have prosopagnosia, I think it's called, where they can't pick up on faces, or they yeah. can't remember faces. Or And then, like, some people are really good at memorizing pathways. Yeah. And I wonder if during the consolidation phase of, let's say, an engram, mm-hmm. if what gets pruned out is dictated by some sort of genetic factor.
1: Oh, you know, well, isn't uh like sense of smell one of the strongest indicators of memory recall or not indicators? You know what I'm trying to say? I don't know. It's like uh something. What is it? The olfactory? That's the factory system. Yeah. Yeah. That's what uh, is strongest. Like when you smell something similar, it can pop you straight back into a memory. But like you might hear something and it doesn't or you might taste something or see something and it doesn't elicit the same response as a smell
0: you know what i read in a book i was reading a book uh called the phantom god okay which is I, i'm only like 50 pages in so out of like 250 so i'm really not that far in okay 20 percent. yeah and uh but it's this idea that with uh, looking at the neuroscience of theology oh you know and so it's looking at and so there's apparently these like latent neural networks that are only known to be really activated during um, like when a infant longs for its mother. Mm-hmm. And so it's like specifically activated because infants are so helpless yeah. when they're born. And so they're completely dependent on the mother mm-hmm. or some sort of community. Yeah, And so this neural network that's involved with that feeling of being bonding, I guess, mm-hmm. and having a dependency on the mother. But it seems that that's also activated for some reason when people are praying for example
1: i've actually seen that
0: theory for like for, a higher
1: being yeah and so like the idea of it's like a calming effect in the brain right yeah and like so it's it stimulates like, some portion of the brain that handles calming i don't know what that is but
0: yeah exactly so like there's this underlying circuit that is hardwired to make you believe in a higher entity or a higher being that can take care of your needs hmm. but the exacts of how it takes care of your needs are unknown so basically, like, you're hardwired to believe in something, but once you've removed the necessity of a mother, then it seems like the idea of some sort of religious almighty being is what is also given that that sense. So basically, like, we're, whether or not there is a god is kind of not necessarily relevant or irrelevant, but the the underlying that there is something higher than myself
1: will make you feel better
0: will yeah is is ingrained wow which is kind of cool but anyways where i was going with that was when you're talking about the smells mm-hmm. turns out and this is a fact that i thought was kind of interesting you can actually take the oils of the areola wow. around a nipple mm-hmm. of the mother and the infants will recognize
1: the areolas of their mother they can pick up on those slight changes. Yeah.
0: So they can recognize their the oils like like mm-hmm. if you take a bunch of areolas, mm-hmm. these poor researchers. These poor researchers. And uh, researchers or test subjects? Well, the researchers so, someone had to wipe the areola. That's fair. In a reproducible manner. That's fair. In order now I'm just like wiping my nipple.
1: It sounds uncomfortable for all parties for involved. For all
0: parties involved. And and you present it to these infants and they can pick out which one is which one is their mother
1: that's insane it's
0: great without the mother actually being there wow that's kind of crazy
1: that is crazy so there is some link to memory and scent i mean obviously there's a link to it yeah but i wonder how strong it is like i it was probably all placebo effect but when i was studying like for a final um when i would study at home i would like smell the same things like i would chew the same type of gum when i was studying for different subjects it's like i might chew double mint in psychology and then i might chew uh, juicy fruit for like macroeconomics and then when i would take my tests i would chew the same gum oh i heard and of I that felt like it helped or like you know light a different candle you know, I'd light one candle for one subject and light contextual candle for another one.
0: Contextual memory.
1: Or like, yeah, have like a little essential oil. My ex-girlfriend loved essential oils. And she had all sure these little did. like felt pads. And I would just take them and sniff them like little sniffing salts right before a test. And I swear it helped. Taken out of context, break. that's
0: really weird. Huh? Taken out of context, that could be real weird. Yeah, very weird. But Do listen still to the whole episode them?
1: and it will make sense. Do you have a box of smells? Uh, No, not anymore. No, I have good. essential oils though. I can see that. Yeah. I have a super cute little diffuser. It sits on my bookshelf. Really? Yeah. Does it help? Lavender calms me down. Does it really? I don't know. know. Probably a placebo. 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 Good. But regardless, I feel like there's got to be something with smell. This isn't something that I can really test. I can't. Sure we can. Well, I I don't have the capability to do that. Oh, yeah. You could have anecdotal fact. I feel like there's There's something something to
0: it. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly memories of smells. Yeah. But I, I feel like we underestimate the power of memory. Not, I mean, that sounds like the most blanket statement I've ever said in my life. But but if we think about it, like, memories are encoded between, let's say, neurons. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to come in and say, it's astrocytes, and it's a whatever, brain cells. Yep. All and like let's say that the engram is being formed, and it's not just the neurons, well, it is just the neurons, but, uh, it's not just the entire neuron that's activated. Mm-hmm. It's the, these little spines on the dendrites called mm-hmm. dendritic spines. So basically like you go back to the tentacle from one neuron, shoots out to the dendrites of the next neuron. And on these dendrites are a bunch of little spines. And so there's essentially if each of these spines is a contact point, if you will, Mm-hmm and let's say that there's thousands of dendritic spines on a single branch of a dendrite, and there's hundreds of branches on dendrites, the amount of connections are insane. Yeah. And so if we take a simple system of two neurons, if there were no dendritic spines, let's say, we could have potentially one memory. Yeah. Right? Because you have one neuron strengthens another neuron. Mm -hmm. That connection is strengthened. But let's say that there's a 100 dendritic spines between these two neurons or, but you know, there's a hundred dendritic spines in the neuron that's being receiving the message. Then there would be what a hundred factorial different combinations that could be activated. Okay. A hundred factorial is a big number. Yeah. A huge number. And then if you say just between two neurons, there might be in this case, a hundred factorial different combinations that can be encoded. And then you, do that to 50 billion neurons and it's only one branch of the dendrite and so each neuron might have let's say 50 branches Mm -hmm. of 100 neurons man 50 billion neurons do you know how many different combinations there are between neural circuits that can be encoded yeah too many and strengthened that's probably one of the biggest numbers that's ever existed
1: yeah mind blown mind blown I'm just staring off in the distance. I got a thousand yard stare right now.
0: I can't even, yeah. I can't even fathom how many different things that could be remembered.
1: So we have a, is there a, like a set value, uh, just tech side of thing? Like how many terabytes of storage do we have in our brain? I don't know. To remember shit.
0: That's always a question that comes up a lot and I have no idea. Man. I, I see the, the link between actual hardware and yeah, it's different. it's like, I don't know how to, convert that there are different like theories and different ideas of how to do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily know how to do that. Cause I don't know how much physical space it takes up as far as like terabyte gigabyte, whatever. Okay. How many bytes it takes up for a neuron to be active or to remember something.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Be crazy though. Crazy. So hey, look, look, we're about... almost at an hour already. Look at that. I, Just if anyone is, you know, if anyone is still here, (laughs) if you're still here, we spent a good 30 minutes trying to just get rolling and get through the intro. So this is, this is pretty good. This is good. We got to have another one. This is good for us. Yeah. First episodes a success. Yeah. I'm counting it as a win. Yeah. We'll have a part two. Yeah. We didn't even get to go on all the tangents. I think that we wanted to go on.
0: No, we barely even scratched the surface of memory.
1: Yeah. We went on jujitsu tangent for a while. Yeah. That was a good one. I keep thinking about memory and jujitsu as well, though. Because like we listen to, a, not a set playlist, but my uh, professor is from New York. We listen to K-pop all the time when we're rolling. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's now like K-pop induces violence in me.
1: No, that's 100% how it feels. Yeah. And have you rolled without listening to K-pop and you feel kind of off? Yeah. Yeah. What's that about? Well, I guess you're not. Brains are weird. Yet. Brains are weird. If I'm not listening to like old school 90s hip hop from New York, I feel out of my element. When I'm rolling, we listen to like some cumbia stuff as well. Really? If I hear those two things, I'm ready to go. But outside of that, we might listen to some weird, weird stuff. Sometimes we'll do like an open mat and some random person will put on and they're listening to like, you know, 90s punk. Throws me off. Throws me off my game. I'm getting bone arrowed left and right. I'm getting stuck in platas and all sorts of stuff. Huh. But you put on some 90s hip hop, I feel crisp. Interesting. I feel like I know what I'm doing. Well, I don't know. There's something to it. There's something deeper, I think. Maybe maybe they're just not exploring it. Maybe I just don't. I mean, we just, we just cool still scholar. don't even know what
0: consciousness is. That's fair. So, got a he long way to go.
1: Consciousness measurable?
0: Maybe we should cover that in the next one.
1: Maybe. I'm going to have to brush up on my Sam Harris. Start meditating more. <laughs> I know that guy's a big fan of that.
0: Maybe we'll bring on some consciousness people. Should. Yeah, those are always the most popular rooms in the the live neural network rooms. About consciousness? Yeah, I mean, there's something to it. I have a fundamental theory that the way we're attacking
1: consciousness is wrong. How so? How are we attacking it, and how should we be attacking it? Well, because
0: it's like saying, "What do you? How do we test consciousness?" That's a question that comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. How do we quantify consciousness? And it's like me saying, "How do we?" How do we quantify, I don't have an example at at hand. (laughs) I was going to say, how do we quantify green? But then it's like, well, we know the waveforms and we know the wavelength and stuff like that. But like we, we look at individual, like we already are looking at consciousness. We're looking at the different aspects of it. How do you smell? How do you hear? How do you recruit different areas of the brain in order to elicit a function? Like all of those go into the conscious experience. And so when we just say, how do you quantify consciousness? It's like, well, what aspect of consciousness do you want to quantify? It's like saying, how do you quantify color? I don't know. What color do you
1: want to quantify? So you're saying we need to start smaller. Stop looking at big picture.
0: Yeah. Stop saying, stop saying that we want to quantify consciousness. What part of it? It's a very multifaceted topic.
1: Yeah. It's like the, uh, it's like
0: me asking, how do you quantify physics? It's not the right, it's not the right question.
1: There's too much into it. Yeah.
0: How do you study different aspects of physics? How do we study different aspects of consciousness? That's fair.
1: Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's like the, what is it? The philosopher zombie? Yeah. Right? That whole little story thingy. I remember learning about that too. Like, if uh, there's a zombie or, you know, some inanimate object, creature, like AI is a good example. Like, as we make further advances in AI, like you have self-driving cars. If you think consciousness is just being able to see, like, well, technically, self-driving cars can see, right? Yeah. You can pick up on... But did they experience it? And that's the thing. How do you measure experience? I know. I mean, somebody... I mean, even two different types of people, like introverts and extroverts. If you are an extrovert and you're at a party with 100 people, you might have a great time and experience it differently than an introvert who hates it the whole time, right? Yeah. So... Like people listening to this podcast. Yeah. No experience can be invalidated in that case.
0: Back to the no universal code of morals. Ethics, whatever the word is. Anyways. Ethics.
1: There needs to be something to it.
0: Yeah. But we gotta wrap this thing up. Here we do. Thanks for uh joining. Yeah, thanks thanks for for having me.
1: It's a great time.
0: We gotta continue. Part two. Just just starting to scratch the surface of the meaning of life.
1: We have so and much And I have more. to go to jujitsu, so. Yeah. Yeah. I have to go get beers. So.
0: <laughs> it is Friday.
1: <laughs> I did train this morning as well.
0: See, so. you're good. You're already done. Yeah, I have to, I, like, still keep it going. I deadlifted this morning, though. Look at that. Yeah, so.
1: I haven't deadlifted in, like, four months.
0: No. Well, we'll get you back. One day. Well, uh, thanks for listening to The Neural Network uh go visit our website www.theneuronetwork.org couldn't get .com because someone already owned it so we got .org best we could do um we also have live shows on friday uh that we host through that you can find through the website uh and follow the show rate the show rate a good rating hopefully if not whatever be honest yeah be honest Give feedback where give, feedback is due. Give feedback where feedback is due. We also have a contact form if you have any questions or anything that you want to do or come on the show. So, uh, all right. Enjoy your weekend.